0: Did I say my name's Andrew? I'm the preaching pastor for the church up here making commentaries about parking. Um, Please join me in prayer. King Jesus, this is your day and this is your Gospel. We come to open your Word and hear your voice. Heavenly Father, we come with the anticipation that when your Word is opened and your people are listening, your voice will be heard. And I pray that we would hear your voice today. I am just a man. I'm just a dude. And yet you put me here today. And so I pray, Lord, uh, this is a high task, uh, that whatever's just of me would be forgotten, but the things of you would stay. I pray for us as we hit Proverbs that this doesn't just become a how-to manual or a to-do manual or any other thing, but that it would become clear that there is a way to understand the world And the way to understand the world is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the understanding that Jesus, you are the king of the world, and that we are your people reconciled to you. I pray for us today that you draw us close, Jesus, and help us to know you uh, better. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, So we're working our way through Proverbs chapters uh, 1 through 9, and we're in two today. And here in two, uh, we see a father uh, discipling his son. Uh, We live in 2015, and there are any number of crises we could pick as the church. Uh, As as Christians, uh, being an evangelical Bible-believing Christian is not necessarily the most popular opinion you could have uh, here in Seattle to say that this is God's Word, this is the Bible, and we do believe all of it. Um, You could look at any number of crises in the church. Christians walking away from the Bible, denominations and pastors walking away from the Bible, Christians uh, finding that they can get a lot of clout with people who don't love Jesus by picking on people who do love Jesus. It's all over the place. You want to be liked by someone who's not a Christian, you say, well, you know what? I'm not one of those kinds of Christians. I'm not part of that family. I'm this other thing. Uh, However, I think there's a crisis that goes beyond these, deeper than these, and bigger than these. And this is my hope that Proverbs will continue to address these. And it's that we have a lack of a framework of understanding of what reality actually is that starts with understanding who God is. That starts with understanding that God is the creator and king of everything. He's holy, right, just, and perfect. In him is all good and no wrong. And he made everything good and we broke it. And yet He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to fix it. That we get to be in the family of God not because of what we do or how nice we are, but because Jesus Christ entered into human history and lived the life that we were intended to live, died the death on the cross to save us from ourselves, all of our right things, wrong reasons, everything we do to try and earn God's love or to get ahead in the world, every wrong thing we've done in the world and every good thing we've chosen just not to do because it was easier to just drive on by died for all of those that you would be forgiven, known, loved and given eternal life. In 1 John, which we're not in today, he beats the drum that Jesus came to bring life. That's life eternal. And that eternal life, yes, it has a duration to it or a lack thereof, but it has a quality of it, that, a quality to it that breaks into life today. You know Jesus. There is no greater thing in the universe than knowing God personally through Jesus Christ and having His presence in your life today because of the Holy Spirit. You're washed clean by the blood, and so the Holy Spirit is with you, Jesus present with you through the Holy Spirit all the time, everywhere you go, indwelt by God through Jesus and the Spirit, wherever you go. When you go to work tomorrow, whether you're punching code or changing tires or whatever you're doing, the God of the universe is with you, you're loved, you're accepted, you're cherished, because of what Jesus has done and nothing that you've done, you're welcome. That is reality. And that, friends, in the church, in God's church, is slipping away, and maybe in many places has slipped away. So what does that have to do with Proverbs? Proverbs, I'm going to hit this one every week is not a manual on how to do money better, parenting better, or how to do finances better or any other any other thing you could think of to do better. Yeah, it addresses marriage, it addresses finances, it addresses kids, it addresses all these facets. But the bedrock of Proverbs is understanding who God is and that everything else flows from there. So in Proverbs chapter 2 starting verse 1, my son My son, if you accept my words and store up my commandments within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and the discovery of the knowledge of God. This is a discipleship conversation we're getting let in on between a father and a son, and it could be between a Mother and a daughter, or a friend and a friend, but this is the particular venue that we're in, as a father and a son. Okay? And, and I think from this text, and we'll go all the way through chapter two, we can see three things about discipleship. You know, we're going to do discipleship. You're, Proverbs, you're like Proverbs, I'm going to learn how to balance my checkbook. No, we're going to seek wisdom greater than that. We're going to see the point of discipleship. We're going to see the power of discipleship. And we're going to see the path of discipleship. I'm feeling Baptist today, so they all have P's. And here we are. So here we are, the point of discipleship. My son, I'm going to read again because you need to listen to this because it's important. My son, if you hear my words and store up my commandments within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart, imagine a dad, if you're a dad or a mom, if you're a mom or if you're someone who has younger siblings, that feeling you have when you're telling someone who doesn't know stuff they need to know. Right, You you need to know this. As Christian, there's nothing you need to know more than Jesus is a king who loves you. But he has things to say. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and if you lift your voice to understand, if you seek it like silver and search it out like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now, uh, we have to address this one a lot because the fear of the Lord appears a lot in the Old Testament. Um, And again, I said this last week, but we have to hit it again. So when we hear fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, it doesn't necessarily mean Scared. I didn't see God hiding behind the bush. Whoa! Doesn't necessarily mean that. Now, that is not to undermine that we are told in the scripture that it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. All right, no wrong. Uh, It's a bad deal to get to the business end of God's justice, which of course we deserve. Now, of course, the gospel message in there is that Jesus Christ has drunk the cup of wrath so we don't have to, that God's answer to God's justice for you is that Jesus died on the cross for you. Repent and believe. But that's not what this particular thing is about. So I don't want to undermine that. But, but this is about the awe and the wonder of the hugeness and the holiness and the beauty of God. That when we see God for who He is, we're left without words and just... ah, Right? If it's for me, tell him I'm busy. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now, you need to see in Proverbs the wisdom based in Proverbs. You can preach Proverbs without God. I don't know if you know this. If you've ever been through a sermon series through Proverbs, you can preach it without any Jesus, without any gospel, and it's just a lot of, you should try harder to balance your checkbook better, do better with money or do better with marriage or do better at dating or whatever other thing or parenting or other thing you can put in there. But that's not actually how Proverbs reads. You also notice that those people don't tend to preach it line by line because we preach it line by line, we come back to God over and over and over and over again because guess what? We're reading the Bible. (laughs) The Bible comes back to God over and over and over and over again. So the point here then of discipleship is to know God. The point at the end of the day in this dad's conversation with his son is to know God. My help for you, if you're a parent is the point of every one of your conversations is that your kids would know God. If you're a friend, my help is that all of your conversations would be to help your friends know God. If you're a coworker, to know God. You can fill in the blank, you can think of a relationship and just fill in the blank because it's there. It's to know God. Now, uh, this is important, by the way. Go with me to Deuteronomy six. We're going to take a little tour. Deuteronomy six says this. This is called the Shema, which is a fancy way to say it's the Hebrew for "listen" or "hear." So Shema sounds a lot cooler because it doesn't sound as cool to call it the "hear" or the "listen." People don't like to be bossed around, you know. Listen to this—that's why it's called because the first word is Shema, listen. Listen, All right? No, it's not. It's coming though. Oh, it's down in verse four. There it is. Verse six. This is the command: the statutes and ordinances the Lord God has instructed me. This is Moses. To teach you why, so that you may follow them in the land, the promised land they're going into that you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may what? Fear the Lord. There's that word again. Fear the Lord your God with all the days of your life by keeping all His statutes and commands. I am giving you uh, your son and your gra- uh, I'm giving you your son, your grandson, uh, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel. And be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. He's promised them prosperity. Now, again, we need to be careful here. Health and wealth says if you love God, you will get stuff. You know what the greatest, pro- most prosperous, valuable thing you can have in your life is? Jesus. That's what. You know what the greatest treasure you can possibly have? Better than land, house, car, Uh, money, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, Jesus. In fact, Jesus is so wonderful and valuable, you can lose absolutely everything but Jesus and still have absolutely everything in Jesus. Now, this isn't to say that God doesn't care about the personal prosperity of his people. They were headed to the promised land, and guess what? So are you. As Christians, we understand that Jesus is going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. And and when this world and ourselves are put back, once it's put back, yeah, we're going to prosper. Guess what? Because there's no sin. Nobody's trying to play king of the mountain all the time. No one's trying to take all of everybody's stuff, and everybody says, God gave me everything so I can give you anything. It's a different world. It's hard to imagine a world without sin. But the prosperity doesn't come from uh, us, you know, Having more faith, it comes from the fact that sin dies. But that's another sermon for another day. Verse 4. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, verse 5, we're told by Jesus, is the sum total of the law. The whole point of the Torah, the first five books, is this verse here. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them. Now, listen. This is the Shema part. Now, I'm telling you to listen. There it is. Listen. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead, literally, in this time. This is Old Testament. Literally, they're doing these things. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. So, what does that mean? You're in your kit. You're in the car with your kids. You're going to school talking about Jesus. You're in the backyard throwing a ball talking about Jesus. You're at the dinner table talking about Jesus. Now, does that mean that you have your kids doing Bible drills all the time? We could. That's fun and all. My house. But it means that everything we're doing has an end goal to it. And that's our kids knowing Jesus, being His disciples and operating in His world, loving God and loving others. This is the point, right? And hear how they said it. It wasn't like, oh, just on Sunday school or just on special days or just some of the time. But all the time, always, the focus is that your kids would love Jesus. I want good things for my kids. And if they grow up, and have the good things of whatever job they do, not whatever job I want them to do, whatever that may be. I'm not gonna fill in a job because there's not bad jobs, right? There's just jobs. You can do anything to the glory of God. I don't care what my kids do. I care that my kids love Jesus. That's what I care about. I care that they love the Lord God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and their neighbor as their selves. I care that they have done this, and I don't care what they say about me right? My dad shoots an awesome bow, can throw a buck of hay, can drive the car like it's Daytona 500. Who cares? My dad was the pastor of a church. Who cares? Who cares? My dad loved Jesus and told me about Jesus. That's what I care about. My dad repented to me. When he screwed up, he said he was sorry because he was a sinner. I'm a sinner. He's a sinner. We both need Jesus, You can spend your life with your kids trying to prove to your kids how cool you are or how good you are or your friends, how cool you are or how good you are, right? The point of your life is not to show people how cool you are or how good you are, whether it's your kids, your friends, your coworkers, or your boss or whomever. It's to show them how good Jesus is. And guess what? A lot of that has to do with showing people how messed up, jacked up, and empty-handed you are. That's what it is. I can't spell to save my life. Ever, I turn papers into teachers at a graduate level, and they come back marked up. And I feel horrible every time. I don't spell, and I look like an idiot when I don't spell. I can say that because it's me. I'm talking about me. It looks like I don't know how to write. But man, if they read that and said, well, that guy really loves Jesus. Can't spell to save his life. That's not how you footnote that citation. Yeah, I know, it's the wrong thing. With the Jesus. The Shema. I'm going to read it one more time. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now I'm going to say... And I'll prove it to you here in a second. Because you can't just say stuff. You've got to prove it. That's why you got your Bibles open, right? Because I'll prove it when I get to Matthew 28. This should be our life as Christians with everybody, not just our kids. But if you have kids, this is our top priority. Your number one mission field is your kids. We live in a time and a place where people are like, be radical and go far away and do these crazy things and go do medical missions and all this stuff. Yeah, do it, Please. Lay your life down that you might inherit eternal life in Christ. Uh, what is it that Jim Elliot said? He who uh, puts down or he who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Someone's got it better than I do this morning. Thank you. He is no fool. Is that right? Yeah. There we go. Thanks, Kate. Okay. However, my wife, with our four kids, is not traveling to a dangerous place anytime soon. Guess what? She is not excluded from a radical ministry. She has a radical ministry with my four kids trying to introduce them the best she possibly can to Jesus. The sovereign God of the universe knows where He has placed you, has given you a mission field where you are, and don't ever look at somebody else's mission field and feel like God loves them more or doing more for the kingdom because they're where God put them, not where God put you you got a job to do where you are. Be faithful with what you're given. Now, what happens when we're not faithful with what we're given in this task of discipleship, as we see in Proverbs, of helping people to know God? Judges, chapter 2. So Joshua is Moses' disciple. We're in Judges. Now, Judges is bad news bears. In the book of Ruth, there's a translation, a if you, if really literal translation says that the time of Ruth, and I believe it was written by Samuel, people disagree with me on that, I don't really care, I think I'm right, but you know, we all do, right? It's not really the point, it doesn't say. But it says that it's the time, literally, of the judging of the judges, the verb and the noun, and they're trying to make clear the time of Ruth is the pulp fiction of the Old Testament, and absolutely everything is messed up. And how did it get so messed up? Right here, yeah, you kind of have to keep your mind where we just were in the Shema, and we're here in chapter 2, verse 6. Joshua sent the people away, and the Israelites... So, jo- you know, remember who's talking? Moses' guy. Joshua sent the people away, and the Israelites went to take possession of the land. Remember what Moses said when you take the possession of the land. Each to his own inheritance. The people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime, and during the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua. So the other cats who were in the desert with Joshua, who saw crazy things, and what happened when people were not faithful to God and they knew better. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timoth, Heris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. They all died. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or his works that he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals, that's the pretend gods, and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They infiltrated, the, uh, they, this, they infuriated the Lord, for they had ban- abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreths. They weren't firmly rooted in the truth of who God was. Now, it's easy, oh, the Baals, that's not really a big concern or fear. I haven't seen a lot of Baals around. I don't even know how to say that right. It's Baals, by the way. Now, of course, we live in Seattle where uh, the idea of worshiping pretend gods is a little nearer to the surface, you know, I think last time I said you could throw a rock and hit a Buddhist temple, and I realized you shouldn't say throw a rock. You should say, like, release a dove or something, because I didn't mean it that way. We love them and want them to meet Jesus. We don't want to throw rocks at them, just for the record. But, you know, you say things that sound fine when you're doing your outline, and you say it out loud, and everyone gives you a funny look, and you're like, no, 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 not like that. Not like that. Didn't mean it that way. They um, They fell short. Now, what does this have to do with us? We're New Testament people. We're New Covenant people. Who goes to Deuteronomy to talk about discipleship? Well, I'm using Proverbs to talk about it. So, hey, go with me to Matthew 28. Hear how the scope of this is expanded, I think. Verse 16, Matthew 28. The disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. We're on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's lived He's died, he's paid the price for sin, he's brought the things that need to happen for us to have eternal life in him, he's died and he's risen from the dead, he has conquered the grave, it is a party. And then I get, I don't have time to preach on it, but to me, which is one of the most fascinating verses in the whole text. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Preach on that another time. When they saw him, oh, I just read that. 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is the where they, sometimes we hear these things, it kind of becomes just sort of Christian things. We hear heaven and earth, you know, as earth as is in heaven. And as I was reading this this morning, getting ready for this text, I was like floored by what Jesus is saying. Heaven is the throne of God. It is the intermediary state when Paul says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. If you are a Christian, when we die, we go to this intermediary state where we're with Jesus in the throne room as we await the resurrection from the dead and the restoration of all things when he wipes every tear from every eye and puts this world back the way it's supposed to be. But it is the place where it always goes the way that it's supposed to go. Now, we believe in his sovereignty. We don't think things on this planet here are out of his control, but they are out of control. Right? There's sin and brokenness. In heaven, there's no sin and brokenness. But what Jesus is saying, I'm the king of absolutely everything. And because I'm the king of absolutely everything, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and on earth. Go therefore. What's it? The therefore? Therefore. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Amazing. Cannot be said enough. This is your job. This is my job. This is my job with my neighbors. This is my job with my kids. This is my job with my wife. This is my job with my family. This is my job with my preaching. But if you ever get the sense that this is my job and not your job, we're all in a lot of trouble. And we'll get there. We'll talk about it more. So how do we get to Matthew 28 from Proverbs? This is why you gotta have your Bible open and be like, what are we doing here? Because we see this discipleship thing happening here in Proverbs. Again, the core of chapter 2 is right here in verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Everything in the discipleship is based on them knowing God. This is discipleship. Being a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Disciple making, this is important, is helping other people follow Jesus. Why is that important? Because usually when I'm sitting at a coffee shop... And I throw out this hypothetical with someone as we talk about discipleship and say, well, you know, I think the average person, if you were to sit them down and say, okay, I have a brand new believer who doesn't know Jesus, help them follow Jesus. And I think if I say to most, and this is in a hypothetical conversation, as you're having this hypothetical conversation, the person begins to say, oh, please don't ask me how I would do that. Oh, oh please, I don't, I don't know what I would do there, right? What would you do, would you be able to, right now, if we took you and stuck you with someone who just met Jesus, help them follow Jesus more. Help them come to a place of maturity. My hope, particularly for the members of this church, this answer is yes, a resounding yes. We'd start somewhere and we'd start reading the Bible and we'd do whatever, whatever it might be that God uses to use you to help them follow Jesus. But it kind of freaks us out because in America, our crisis is that we don't really do discipleship very well. We don't. We do discipleship by osmosis. So discipleship is by osmosis. And let's be clear on this before I say what I'm about to say, and not just to defend my job. Preaching, and I'm going to steal this from a great book you should read called The Trellis and the Vine by Payne and somebody else. P-A-Y-N-E. It's Australian. Preaching is crucial to the life of the church, but it is not the whole life of the church. And in fact, it is important, but it is not enough. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying to God, I can't have a spiritual life for you. Now, what's cool about discipleship by osmosis, it turns out if the only thing you ever do is come in and hear preaching, chances are you may actually get, and this is what I call it by osmosis, you may actually grow in the Lord. My hope every week, my prayer every week, please, I'm broken. I'm just a guy. Please grow people through the word being open. Please move in people's life this week when I say some stuff. And please, whatever stupid garbage I say that's just for me, forget it. I hope you forget it. The stuff that's just me, who cares? Right? Yes, there should be a right. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Somebody takes the pressure off it's a lot of pressure if I think it's my job to have your spiritual life because that ain't my job it's your job it's a gift through Jesus Christ the curtain in the temple at the holy of holies is torn when he is on the cross God tears it from top to bottom what does this mean Friends, you have full and unfettered access to God through the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the deal. That, I can't be there at Wednesday, on Wednesday morning when you're doing the plumbing and the plumbing breaks and the person who hired you is yelling at you because you're a jerk and the bathroom's flooded and you ruined the molding and how nice the molding was. I can't be there to help you turn the other cheek. But when you know who Jesus is and the offense that you've had against God and how much he's forgiven you, of course you can keep it cool with that lady. Of course you can forgive her. Of course you can turn the other cheek. And of course you don't have to freak out. And hey, you can text me. I'll text you back. Remember who Jesus is, but I'm not your babysitter. You're all really thankful for that. I hope. So it's not by osmosis. And what's worse is we've done discipleship by outsourcing. Ooh, what does that mean? I remember seeing a thing for a discipleship conference. And a couple of cats whose names I won't say because I don't need to throw rocks at them here. Good dudes, wrote good books. But their, their whole thing was based on getting as many churches as possible to throw up a screen and do a weekend thing where they invited everybody in to hear these other guys teach them about how to make disciples. You know what that says? That says that you don't have what it takes, Anchor Church, to make disciples. You do. You have this. You have the Spirit. You have Jesus. You have the Gospel. We don't need to outsource our discipleship. And in fact, if we have a mentality that says, I'm the only guy in the church that makes disciples, you've outsourced it again. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not, and if you're sitting there freaking out, like, I want to make disciples. I just don't know. Don't take this as like a chastisement. This is an invitation, man. This is an invitation. You're saying, I want to make some disciples. Good. Welcome to the party. Come on in. We're here to help you and equip you and release you to do the work that God's called you to do. Because at the end of the day, this is your job. To follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. This is what we say it is to be a member of the church, by the way. To take responsibility for the members of the church and for the members of the church to take responsibility for you. That's not the elders of the church taking responsibility for the church. That's the church taking responsibility for the church. And I I need you to see that distinction. Man, I'll tell you what the other guys who are serving leadership here love you guys so much, care about this church, growing in the gospel so much. We are here to help, but we can't be babysitters. We're going to be people who grow in the gospel. We're going to be a really gospel-saturated church that's just a Jesus-saturated, Bible-reading, praying our guts out people. We've got to do that together. We've got to do that together. Well, how do we do that together? What is discipleship? How do we do it? Oh, no, the notes are getting lost. There we go. Go with me to Timothy, chapter 1. Timothy, uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So, easy to remember. Write it on your brain. 2 Timothy 2 and 2. So here we are in 2 Timothy 2 and 2. I'll start at 1. This is Paul to Timothy, uh, his dear and beloved disciple. Verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the way, this is a great letter. Timothy's having such a hard time. It's a letter about a guy who's just on the brink. And what does Paul do for Timothy? Timothy. Buck up and up your tee and do some push-ups and get out there. Timothy, be strong. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what the gospel is. It's hard. Put one foot in front of the other, buddy. He doesn't say buddy. It's not in the Greek, but... You therefore, my son, is what he actually says, which is way more endearing. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me... We'll call this the gospel package. This is the Bible. This is the full counsel of God. This is that reality. Remember, we're in Proverbs 2. I told you we are going to take a tour today. I like a good Bible tour, and we are on the Bible bus this morning. So we have that idea of this package here, which we see in Proverbs 2, the knowledge of God. For us as New Testament Christians, we know that that's the full counsel. That's the Bible. 66 books, in Aaron, inspired Word of God. Tim, take what I gave to you. What does he say? Have a video when you get some guys in at churches all over the place to do your thing so people pay tickets to do discipleship with you. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. It says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. Did you catch up? Catch up? Paul? Paul says, take, Tim, what I gave to you, that's two. Give it to somebody else, that's three. Let's give it to somebody else, that's four. Take what I was given, give it to you. Give it to you. you know what's amazing? Is I can tell you the people, the, the couple that I was stuck on a tarmac on the plane with about a year before I met Jesus, I was stuck on either side of these people because they were older and awesome and figured they could get more armchair room. Smart. So even though they were married, they were across from each other. Turns out, these people, the guy in particular, I think he was probably in his early, 19th, or 19, his early 70s. He had met Jesus about five years before. He met his wife about a year after that. And this, this couple just sat and ministered to me and just took care of me and told me about Jesus, and made sure I got peanuts when I fall asleep because we're in the tarmac. and this li- They just took care of me. I couldn't tell you their names, by the way, and it doesn't matter. I'll meet them in the kingdom. But you know what I can't tell you? I can't tell you who discipled them, and I can't tell you who discipled that person, and I can't tell you who discipled that person, and I can't tell you who discipled that person. And my prayer for you is that your great, 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 great grandchildren will love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, And if you're a person who's met Jesus in this church, if you've come to maturity in any way, shape, or form in this church, your great, 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 great grandchildren will have no idea who the heck I even am. Why is that great? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel and the kingdom of God. That's what discipleship is about. Because I think a lot of times even it's worth saying, well, I can't disciple him because I don't... I don't know my Bible well enough, or, or I, I don't, I'm not good one-on-one. You can come up with a thousand reasons why this isn't your job, and I will tell you a thousand times over, I've got the Bible, and it says that it is. No super saints. Just Christians. We've all got a job together. Well, how does this look? This is worth saying. Uh, go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Hey, there's another one. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. I'll start in 31 of 10. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or the church of God. Man, that that's got there we could preach on that all day, but we don't have time. Just as I also tried to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit but the profit of many. This concerns other people. So we live in Seattle, which means when you go to the uh, diner, quote-unquote, air quotes, diner in Seattle, and they have raw goat cheese and the caramelized onions that accompany the wild boar sausage, we drink it or eat it to the glory of God with your very expensive $5 cup of coffee. (laughs) That's us. I would encourage you, if you find yourself at the Sultan Bakery, where's Sultan? The Sultan Bakery is awesome, and you should go there. You don't complain because they don't have wild boar at the Salton Bakery. You order a breakfast sandwich that they make on their own loaf of bread. And I'm not joking. The sandwich looks like this, right? And it comes out. And it's American cheese and like, there was like liquidy Velveeta cheese on it last time I was there. And you know what you do when you're there? You don't know, say, oh, well, I, is this, ooh. And this is, I can say this because I'm kind of a hippie with the way I eat. I'll say that. I don't say, oh, is this, is this white bread? I say, thank you, Jesus, and I eat it, and I hang out at the Sultan Bakery and enjoy everything I have there. Why? Because I care more about people meeting Jesus than not having white wheat bread at the Sultan Bakery. Please all people, but that's a, that's a different sermon for a different day, but this is where we're actually trying to get to. Imitate me, uh, not seeking my own profit, but profit of many so that they may be what? Saved. What does he say? Verse 1. Listen, this is, the, this is like, along with, with remembering it's your job to make disciples, this is another big one. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why is that important? Well, I'm a goofy, uh, eccentric, uh, uh, what's a nice word for it? You know, I have goats that live in my backyard uh, I was just telling people before the service, I spent my weekend shooting a bow and arrow at a hay bale at my brother-in-law's house, right? In an old barn, and I was having a good, me and my little girl were having a good time shooting the old bow and arrow, right? How much of that do you need to do to be a mature disciple of Jesus? Zero. How well do we need to have a conversation about the, the, the finer points between Waylon Jennings and George Jones? If you can have that conversation, I'd love to grab coffee with you, but that has zero to do with discipleship. Everyone's like, Who are you talking about? George Jones, that's who I'm talking about. Um, why do I say all these things and say things you're like, I don't care? Because the point of discipleship is that you don't look like me, eat like me, dress like me, or talk like me. The point of discipleship is that you follow Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? I guess to be a mature Christian, i got to get a bow and some hay bales. I'm not sure where I get either of those things. You don't. That's not the deal. That's, that's not what it even said in Proverbs. Did it? it didn't say, do this and be like this and act like me. It's insight, wisdom, understanding, understand, know, know God. Uh, last one. It's not the last, last one. So how does this work out for us? Uh Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. The he, if you're in a Bible that does not capitalize your pronouns, is Jesus. And he personally gave to some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? Verse 12. For the training of the saints, that's you if you're a Christian, in the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, knowing into a mature man with stature measured in Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness, uh, in the techniques of uh, deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him. That's Jesus again, who is the head, Christ. Thanks, Paul. He lets us know. For Him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. That is church. So we're up to. Yeah, preaching's rad. I love old preaching. I love new preaching. I love preaching that never got recorded. Less easy to do that when you're jogging, but, you know, I got some Martin Lloyd-Jones recordings. I think preaching goes back further than Jesus to the time of Ezra easily as we know it today. Easily. But this can't be it for you. I hope this is a big part of your life. I hope it's a priority in your week, in fact, to come together with the people of God, to sing songs to Jesus, to hear God's preach. Uh, when I'm preaching, or Joe's preaching, or Ian's preaching, or Brian's preaching, or Eric's preaching, who cares? The word's going to be open, and so we preach it. I hope it's a priority. This is a big deal. But it's not the only deal. You've got to follow Jesus the other six days a week and before you get here and after you leave. Well, how do we get there? The church takes responsibility for the church. We're an intentionally simple church. We've always been an intentionally simple church. We do one-on-one Bible reading, we call discipleship, Bible studies, community groups. We get together on Sunday. That's what we do. We're not supposed to be complicated. I think that that is the best way we can get to a place where you're less and less dependent on me and more and more a body functioning all the ligaments, right? If I'm the whatever, the left hand, and all we got is a left hand, we don't got much, right? But if you've got a solid left and a right and a foot, you can do the hokey pokey. You can <laughs> do any number of things. But be clear, it's not, oh, well, Andrew's the left hand and I'm the pinky toe, No, it doesn't. Your metaphor breaks down. We're operating together, and the important part is that Jesus is the head. Go back with me to Proverbs. The tour is almost over. Okay. I told you there were three points. So that point was the point of discipleship: God. That's the point of deception. Number two, the power of discipleship. Now read with me. You need this. If you want to make disciples, you need this. If you want to follow Jesus, you need this. Verse 6 For the Lord gives wisdom. Who gives wisdom? The Lord. Somebody said it. Who gives wisdom? The Lord. The Lord gives wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So the thing that he's trying to pour into his son uh, ultimately come to fruition and enlightenment through God. Right? You can read your Bible all day. If the Holy Spirit doesn't move, nothing happens. Uh, it's been my experience. Uh, I did my graduate work. I'm in my postgraduate work. There are guys who can take apart a Greek participle all day long who have no love for the Lord Jesus Christ at all. They can exegete Greek way better than I ever will, way better than you do, perhaps. Hebrew, maybe. Aramaic, ooh. And then compare it to like the. I can't even pronounce pronounce it, you know, compared to Ugaritic and Arabic and stuff. I don't know. problem is they don't love Jesus, right? The Spirit does something. If you don't know Jesus, I'm inviting you. Grab a Bible, take it. If nothing I said is compelling, just take a Bible, go home, open it up. Never even come back here again, but open it up and say, all right, God, I'll give it a whirl. I'm reading. I'm here, I'm listening. I want to know you. Help me. I have honestly never heard a time where that prayer hasn't been answered. I've heard that story a thousand times from a thousand different people in a thousand different places. A friend at a farm up in Whatcom County, the way she met Jesus was she was at a wedding, and the pastor said some nice things, and her family was all kind of messed up, but he seemed all right. And she didn't understand this deal. Uh, The guy didn't seem like a, you know, she thought he wasn't that cool but her sister really loved this guy and he seemed awesome when she got to him. So she goes to the pastor, she's like, I, I want to know a little bit more about this whole God thing or whatever you got. So here, take a Bible. Open it up. And he opened it up and said, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's the one who illuminates this stuff. Talk to him. You want to know God? Talk to him. See what he says. She wanted to know God. She opened it up, she talked to him. She's been a Christian for 40 years now. Because the deal is that God's not hiding from you. If you want to know God, God has sent His Son, that you would know Him. Okay? It all comes from God. Verse 6, 7, 8. He stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity, so that He may guard... Who guards? He. Capital H-E. He may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of His loyal followers. You made it here today because Jesus loves you. That's awesome. You've made it this far in your life and not shipwrecked the whole thing because God is very gracious to you. Particularly, I was reflecting on this on my wife on a drive yesterday. When I first became a Christian, I was ready to shipwreck the thing like 50 times. And I was about to do stupid stuff Again and again and again and again, and sometimes he let me do the stupid stuff so I knew how good he was, but often he just kept pulling me out of it and convicting me. That's, wait, huh? Had the brilliant idea as a brand new baby Christian to switch to be a theology major at a school that doesn't love Jesus. Turns out, when you get introduced to that, when you've been a Christian for like 10 minutes, so I had a class, it was like a Gospel of John class, I didn't realize the teacher was a heretic, and you're sitting there, and you're like, well, we're opening the Bible and we're talking about it. So I get to get a degree to just open the Bible and talk about it, and then you get in there, and it's like, no, this is all the reasons why the Bible's not true. And you're like, well, I, I, I gave up partying for Jesus, but if it's not true, then, well, well, what? Turns out God kept showing me that they were wrong. He kept pulling me back and I remember the day that it, he just convicted me like you're shipwrecking everything and, and I realized that they're not citing their sources and I started pushing on stuff and asking questions being like well that sounds silly you just made a naked assertion well that's not true why not well people don't walk on water well I know they normally walk on water that's why it's a big deal." Needless to say, I became kind of a pest around campus after that. <laughs> because they kept saying things like, well, Jesus never talked about hell. I'm like, well, in verse 13 it says this. <laughs> well, yeah, but Jesus didn't really say that. That's not what Mark said. Well, well, so your argument is that the Bible is true and right and it says what it says. Well, yeah, but the other thing is they just say, well, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm like, well, yeah, it actually does. <laughs> they began to be very annoyed with me. But you need to be there. Church, because if I say something like that, members in particular, I'm your problem, man. If I go off the rails, I'm your problem. You got to deal with me. That's the deal. You got to be disciples. You got to be mature. That's the deal. Members, not to exclude you if you're not a member, by the way, I'm just saying extra weight for y'all. Because we don't have a second person plural in English, so we default to you all, which sounds way less classy than y'all. I like y'all. Anyways, we need to see that the power of discipleship is the grace of the Lord. Bring it full circle. How do you grow in God? God. How do you do Jesus' stuff? Jesus. You can't do Jesus' stuff without Jesus. Period. Period. Go with me to Hebrews. Last trip in the bus, Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on to maturity. Now he's going to lay out some basic things that he assumes, and, and what he's not saying, what the author of Hebrews isn't saying here, is cool. We'll get this stuff down, and then we don't have to talk about Jesus anymore. We do not talk about Christ anymore. We talk Jesus Christ Messiah. They're all synonyms. He's not saying that. He's saying, we're all agreed here. Now let's dig deeper with Jesus. But he says this, because they're being very immature is the problem. Uh, Let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Who saves you? What you do or what has been done on your behalf through Jesus? Jesus. Jesus saves, not you. The whole point is you can't save yourself. Jesus had to save you. So he's assuming this is just understood not laying in the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, probably baptism, laying on of hands as commissioning of elders, probably. Don't have time to unpack it right now, but probably. The resurrection of the dead, we're going to rise. God's going to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. Romans 8 is going to be awesome when it actually happens, circa Revelation 20 and on. He's just saying, this is just, this is just the stuff. Your disciples, this is the basics. But then hear this. and one more. Uh, Resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, verse 3. So this is scary, and then I'll encourage you. How about that? I'll make you a deal. I'll just read it, because the Bible's scary sometimes. And we will do this if God permits. How are you going to grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ? If the sovereign God of the universe allows it. Not because you've done your spiritual push-ups, not because you've tried harder, not because you read the Bible in 90 days, which if you do that, you're awesome. People do that. It's a lot of reading. You're going to grow in the gospel because Jesus allows it. Not because somebody you hook up with to read the Bible with is awesome even. If you do, it's grace to you. Now here's the promise. James tells us, draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. Jesus tells us not height nor depth nor powers nor principalities can ever separate us from, what Paul tells us about Jesus, not height nor depth nor powers nor principalities can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus says he's got the hairs on your head numbered. Come, all ye who are weary, and drink. That's what he says. That's what he says. You draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's a promise. So what does that mean? If you're following Jesus, he's never, ever, ever going to say to you, sorry, pal, room's full, occupancy 150. Sorry, dude, you're not good enough at ping pong or you didn't read your Bible well enough. That's not what he says. Thief on the cross, dying next to Jesus. What does he say? Remember me when you enter your kingdom. What does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. So what did he do to earn his salvation? What did he do to pursue God other than call out to him as he's bleeding to death? Nothing. That's the first Christian in the kingdom. That's the first guy in heaven. That guy. That guy. Hang on to that and don't let go. It's not how hard you try. It's what he did. Don't ever, ever demean the cross in that way. And also just the reality that that if you do, you'll miss the fact that we're saved by grace for grace. You're saved to live. Your sins are paid for. John 3.16 is super important. And we make too much fun of it because it's football verse, right? But he came to give eternal life. I had a teacher, so I'm stealing this from him. I had a teacher once. He was awesome. Daryl Bach, super giant brain. But he pointed out that he, he did. He's a giant brain. <laughs> he's really like—I'll stop. He's really, really gifted. And then he threw in all these Texasisms while he taught, because he was from Dallas Theological Seminary. So he'd say things like, "Well, you know, that's just a pinch between the gum and the lips." And I'm like, "What is a pinch of? What are you pinching between your?" Oh, tobacco. Oh, sorry. This is Washington. We tax that, and you don't do that here. <laughs> Texas. I, the great nation of Texas, I'm not demeaning Texas. I'm just saying I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, but what he pointed out was that Luke 3.16 is just as important as John 3.16. What's Luke 3.16? No one's got that one memorized, I bet. He came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to do everything that needed to happen for us to have full and unfettered access to God through the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit. All that Romans 8, awesomeness about the Spirit— comes through the cross of Jesus Christ, something he said he came to do. So we're not just having our sins paid for, but we have life. Okay. So that's the power. Now the path. Verse 9. I'm going to read the whole thing. Pick up where we left off. Pick up where we left off. We'll pick up for the time that I lost. Talking about haymills. Verse 9. Then you'll understand righteousness, justice, and integrity. The path of discipleship is what we're talking about. For wisdom, and where do you get that wisdom? Jesus, will enter your mind and knowledge will delight your heart. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. Rescuing you from the way of evil, from the one who says perverse things, from those who abandon the right path to walk the way in the ways of darkness. Now don't just think like crazy town, right? This this is Seattle. If God calls it bad, we call it good. This isn't wiling out necessarily. There's for God, there's against God. John is so clear. First John is abundantly clear. You're either pro-Christ or you're anti-Christ, period. That's the truth. You're going to get white and black from God. It's not popular, but God's not really concerned about when anybody thinks about him. So hey. Verse 12. Uh rescue me from the way of evil, from the one who says perverse things, from the one who abandoned uh, the right path to walk in the ways of darkness, from those who enjoy doing evil and celebrate perversion, whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. Uh, we will dig into 16 and 17, because we had a whole chapter on it, so I'm just gonna kind of do a flyby. Uh it will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a stranger with uh, her flattering talk, with, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death. I don't think it's limited to the sexual morality piece. To rebel against God is always appealing and always calling us, and trying to get us away from Jesus. The devil doesn't care what you do as long as it's not with Jesus, just for the record. Uh 18, 19. None return who go to her. None reach the path of life. Verse 20, here's your admonishment. So fall the way of good people and keep to the path of the righteous for the upright will inhabit the land. And how do we get to be good people, holy people? Again, you gotta remember this. This is why, this is why Proverbs is dangerous if you don't go line by line. Because we just heard about it a few verses higher. God, that's how. Why are you righteous? Jesus how do you know God? Jesus. How are you right with God? His blood. How do we have eternal life? The resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. Changed by Jesus. None who return, uh, so fall the way of good people and keep to the paths of the righteous... For the upright will inhabit the land, and those of integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous uprooted from it. The promise that God makes again and again and again and again and again to vindicate the righteous. We turn the other cheek because we've been forgiven. We turn the other cheek because we know that God's got it. That's why we turn the other cheek. Okay. So it's the path of discipleship. We did the point. We did the power. We did the path. It's walking after Jesus. Our whole life is following Jesus. And as we do that, the world's going to keep saying, there's better stuff than Jesus. You get up at 1030 to a crowded parking lot to hear some guy in a sweater talk for 45 minutes, you're crazy. You're right. If he didn't raise from the dead, but he did. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those of integrity will remain in it. So the whole point that we're after here is understanding, again, Proverbs is not about you balancing your checkbook. Proverbs is about rightly being formed in the reality of who God is and what it is to operate from what we call a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. Operate from principle. Operate from Jesus. That's the point. It's the gospel. If the gospel's removed from any of this, because the way we know God, right? If we said discipleship's about knowing God, the way we know God is Jesus, period. That's it. God's revealed himself to us through his son. We follow him, we help other people follow him. Welcome to discipleship. Welcome to team Jesus. Following Jesus, helping other people follow Jesus. When we don't believe this, we do a couple of things. One is we lack discipleship and community. What do I mean by that? Um, not just as a pastor, but over the years, I've known lots of people like, well, you know, I, I, you know, I live with my husband, obviously, or my wife, or my kids. It doesn't feel very Jesus-y in the house. I live in a house full of 10 Christian guys or 15 Christian gals. It doesn't feel very Jesus-y in the house. And you say, well, what do you mean Jesus-y? Because I'm not... Familiar with that adverb, Jesusy? We don't talk about Jesus. Well, why don't you talk about Jesus? I don't know. We just don't. You're, you're Christian, right? Yeah. And you said all your roommates are Christians. I don't don't think it matters. Like, you can go either way on that. I'm not saying you have to live with a bunch of Christians. I'm just saying, if you live with a bunch of Christians and you don't ever talk about Jesus, maybe there's a problem. If you have no spiritual connection with other Christians you're in the same household with, maybe there's a problem. Well, I just don't know how to, like, do that. Like we to have a class on it or something. So you say, okay, well, why don't you ask your husband, you know, what he's been reading in his Bible? Why don't you ask your roommate, you know, what has God been teaching? Why don't you just start the conversation? Well, that feels really awkward. Well, yeah, it might be. But you're, I've never, I mean... Maybe you're different, right? I've never had a Christian say to me, Hey, how's your Bible? What are you reading in the Bible lately? And I haven't been like, Man, have you been reading Judges? Judges is off the hook. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't always read Judges, but I just, this is an example. I've not met the Christian people who don't want to talk about Jesus. But this is about us creating a culture. It has to do with Jesus. Discipleship's a culture. A community is a culture. When we don't believe he's a worthy subject to talk about, we'll talk about something else, like George Jones and Waylon Jennings. I love talking about George Jones and Waylon Jennings. George Jones is awesome. You know what I like way, 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 way more than George Jones? is Jesus Christ. It's cool. George Jones likes Jesus Christ more, too. He's with the Lord now. but He's a Christian. What are you evangelizing? What are you pointing people to? If you believe that Jesus, knowing Jesus is the point, of your life, knowing him and making him known is the point, how much time do you spend making him known? How willing are you to get in a conversation about it? I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm not saying get to the pump and wait till the guy pulls the thing and your gas is filling up and then you hand him a chick track. I'm saying, hey, Talk to people about Jesus. And you're like, well, what do I, how do I do that? Same way you do everything else. Honestly, we get psyched out, man. We get psyched out. It's more comfortable to talk about sushi than Jesus. I know. But honestly, like when you're just talking about your life, if your life is reflective of the fact that you love Jesus, there's lots of opportunities there to talk about stuff. Oh, what'd you do this weekend? Uh, you know, I saw a movie and... Uh, you know, got out of bed, made to a building at 1030 and had some coffee and saw some people I knew and then left. Oh, it sounds like you had coffee at ten. What did you do this weekend? I, you know, got together with the church. But that's cheesy. Get over it. <sighs> Jesus isn't cheesy. The people of God aren't cheesy. But, but I, think, I think the reality is we want God. Discipleship is about more and more God being the air we breathe. The gospel being the air we breathe. Being one person all the time, 24-7 a Christian. Having a house that's reflective of the fact that you love Jesus and you want the people that live with you to love Jesus. And I'm not even saying it's not awkward. I'll tell you, the first time I had a buddy who did this, and I was like, yeah, we, I guess we could do that. We made song, We took old song sheets that the church had because we used to have just like sheets, right? And we started singing songs at the dinner table about Jesus. Here's a song or two. It turns out only the grown-ups feel awkward. The kids like it. We don't do it every night, and it would be fine if we did, for that matter. But man, my kids know. They know we're Christians. They know that we love Jesus. They know it's the air in the house. Is, is it the air you breathe, or is it just uh, something that gets added on to your life? Discipleship's 24-7. So is making disciples for that matter. So what do we do? We preach Jesus. We point people to Jesus. We do life together. It's not complicated. It doesn't need to be dialed in from San Diego or whatever on the jumbotron. God's made this thing at his church very simple. He's made the church very simple. He's made the gospel very simple. You can keep going. You can press on into maturity. You can, you can think about what it means that he's our high priests. You can meditate on, well, if God's like all light and no dark, what does that mean? You can do that all day long. And you don't have to be a theology prof to do that, by the way. But you get to do that. You get to help other people do that. And you get to help people and you get to get that down. Into that Wednesday when the plumbing breaks and you're trying to get the gears and the lady's yelling at you. That's when the gospel's real. If you don't know Jesus, I don't care. Like I said, grab a Bible and never come back here again. There's plenty. You don't have to do that, by the way. There are awesome churches that love you. He didn't have an inside talking voice. I will go somewhere where they are quieter. Praise the Lord if they love Jesus. The point of our church is not that you buy into the Anchor Church program. The point of our church is that you would know who Jesus is. The point of my life is that you would know who Jesus is. The point of my relationships with people is that they would know who Jesus is. And so if you don't know Jesus, Jesus Christ is the God of the universe who entered into human history to save you from yourself and give you life. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. This is not a dusty old book. This is the word of God. If you don't know him, today is the day. Meet him. Talk to him. Get it figured out. There's nothing more important. If you're a Christian... And there's no discipleship in your life and no one's pouring into you and helping you be built up in the gospel, why not? If you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes and you're not putting back in anybody else's life, why not? It's a gift. It's not just like shaking the finger. You're invite. There's nothing cooler than sitting down with somebody opening the Bible and seeing them love and know Jesus more. There's nothing greater than walking with someone in community over a period of time and realizing a year from now they've grown in the Lord and they know and love Jesus and love other people more than they did last year. And I know we live in Seattle. It's complicated, right? You drive an hour and a half, two hours to get home because you work somewhere a bazillion miles away from your house. And uh, I know, right? But we can make a thousand excuses all day long why we're not making disciples. We can make a thousand excuses why we're not pouring into people and, and honestly getting poured into yourself, because we're Americans, and so we'll go and roof somebody else's house, but we don't even come roof our house. Right? You've been given a gift. Get to give to other people. You've been, they've been given a gift that you get to get from them. so we'd all work together to know and love Jesus more. Love other people more. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray we would learn from the example you've given us in Proverbs 2. We wouldn't just make this about dads and sons, but that's important. We'd just make it about husbands and wives or moms and daughters. We'd, we'd make it about us, your people, Helping each other to know you more, to love you more, to follow you more intensely, to be more rooted in the reality of our salvation and our forgiveness and the life that we've received from you by your grace that we didn't earn. Help us to position ourselves as your people more and more to hear the truth because we forget it very quickly. Help us to hear it. Help us not to write it off. Help us, help us not to, to think that there's something bigger and greater than the fact that Jesus saved sinners from death to life. There's just more of that again and again. And I just pray for us, Lord, that we wouldn't think it's about us, how good we can read the Bible or make disciples or what our spiritual life will like but it's about you. That You give us that grace to grow us in you and give us the grace to help other people grow in you. I pray you would stoke our hearts for worship. That that every time we sit down at at the Starbucks or wherever and open that Bible, that you just use other Christians in our lives to throw logs on the white, hot, passionate worship of your name. I pray that it would be distinct and clear no matter what we do, no matter what our job, no whatever, we, no matter what we do with our lives, that we are people who are marked by the gospel. We are marked as people who are owned by God through the blood, blood of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. Help us to know your word more deeply. Help us to just be people who make disciples when we're standing up and we're sitting down and the truth about loving you and loving others will be written on our doorposts. That we'd actually listen to what you got for us, Lord help us also not feel guilty but invited in to your kingdom work. We love you, Jesus. Amen.